Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. This is Michael Mann, and I ride with Extended Clip. Welcome to Extended Clip. It's episode 128. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. And as we inch closer and closer to the final episode of Extended Clip, we're really bringing out the big guns. And this week, I want you all to look and listen with our good friend Brian De Palma. Our double feature is Blowout, his 1981 masterpiece, and Body Double, his 1984 masterpiece. Um, you guys have both seen these movies before, right? These are all around classics. Some of my favorite movies of all time. And like Body Double was one I kind of saw younger in my my cinephilic journey. Mm-hmm. And uh, Is this when you were like 15 and wanted to start an erotic thriller podcast? You know what? Yes, but it was like more, it wasn't mm-hmm. even about Body Double. I was thinking kind of more like 90s erotic mm-hmm. thrillers. This, this was just kind of, you know... One of the movies I kind of, you know, I'm sure everyone listening has already figured this out. But, you know, when I was young, I was like, oh, you know, if there, it could be like boobs in a movie. It could be sleazy and it's still good. But, yeah. you know, it's good because, you know, all the camera work and all the preciseness of it. But, you know, it's like, oh, this is, you know, kind of uh, taking subject and form and kind of separating them. And, you know, so it really kind of uh, cleared some things, you know, out for it kind of put me down the path that I am now. How about you, JT? I'm sure I'm sure you've seen these movies, right? Oh, I have seen these movies. I've loved these movies, and I've lived with these movies. Lived uh, these movies. Exactly. Well, uh, Blowout. I've lived in the city of Philadelphia, that's so true. that's that's part of it. Um, I mean, I think Blowout. Like, I have the stronger. Con- I mean, I love Body Double as well, but I have the stronger personal connection to that, and I just think it's the it's the best Philly movie of all time. Uh, just like such a crazy, like apparent masterpiece. It's a great double feature, obviously, because they're two of the best movies, but I think they feel like um, flip sides of the same coin. And I think that like, obviously I would classify like body double as like a major work of De Palma, but at the same time, it feels like a little minor. Like I think Mm -hmm. Blowout is like very transparently like a masterpiece, but body double is like a stranger uh, piece to sort of uh, categorize. Yeah, like if you're on board with the De Palma project, you know, both of these movies are going to be major for you. But for, you know, your average Joe moviegoer. The uh, worst, yeah. A Joe the plumber type. (laughs) uh, One of these movies is obviously much more respectable and like, even though Blowout still has a ton of sleaze in it. Yeah, yeah. uh, Because De Palma (laughs) fucking can't help himself. uh, One of these is obviously a much more respectable movie movie you know both of these take from Hitchcock but Blowout also takes from Michelangelo Antonioni you know (laughs) and uh yeah it's just I don't know a great uh dynamic of De Palma here both two sides of the same coin as you said JT you know you got the city of brotherly love and you got lipstick city Uh, (laughs) you got America's history and like all of this uh, you know, uh, political conspiracy running through Blowout, and you have Hollywood history, a history of sleaze and exploitation running through Body Double. So, yeah, I feel like these are two of my very favorite De Palma movies. You know, you can't fit the best of De Palma in a double feature. You got to do a whole series with stuff like Redacted and uh, Passion and High Mom and stuff like that. But 
this is like intro to DePaul, intro to Brian De Palma 101. You know, you got your voyeurism, you got your guilt over sexual obsession, you got the sexual obsession itself, uh, you got the homages to film history, you have the split diopters, you have the insanely elaborate tracking shots that guide you through set pieces, and you have Dennis Franz in yeah. both of them being and, a total sleaze maestro. And you have these very lush uh, Italian sound tracks yes with both of these and re-watching both these movies you know something with the blowout blowout themes one of my favorite mm. pieces pieces of music of all time let's not even let's not even go films the but, the uh, sally theme in particular yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah yeah that quentin tarantino repurposed in <laughs> death proof yeah true but even like body the body double soundtrack is i don't know they're just kind of on another level and like it's just i mean are, are totally uh vital to you know what De Palma's doing here really kind of like interact with the movie in very like intelligent ways so uh, I think it's Pino Dinaggio on, on the keys for both of them so one of his classic collaborators I give him I give him lots of credit and like this this era of De Palma is like he just has vi- things visually down pat you know yeah. what I mean kind of reaching all the way deep into his bag of tricks I put dress to kill in that category too mm-hmm. of like yeah. kind of just like Teflon untouchable visual style and uh, you know they're kind of used to very similar ends you know with like kind of you you talk about Hollywood history and then you know just kind of a a more political angle and blowout but I mean it's just the the places you know we go with the the Palma I feel like every location he's finding his his little thing that he likes to do Mm -hmm. and it's just it's so much fun love this filmmaker what a great guy. The Teflon Don. <laughs> the Teflon <laughs> the original <laughs> Teflon Don. And nowadays he's kind of looking like him, you know, <laughs> just in terms of shape. <laughs> um, so Blowout opens on a, you know, point of view horror set piece, this film within the film, kind of a Michael Myers style, heavy breathing and heart pulsating on the soundtrack and, you know, a guy raising a knife. And it's hilarious when the, the reflection of the killer is finally revealed and he doesn't look like a slasher monster. He's just like some chubby bozo who's stalking around a a women's dorm room where every girl is either like partying, fucking, masturbating, showering, or of course you have like the one girl who's like, can you keep it down in there? I'm trying to study. I'm (laughs) ugly. (laughs) Uh, Both of these films, by the way, uh, begin with, you know, horror films within the film. Uh, This one, of course, is punctuated with such a great gag where, uh, you know, the killer approaches a woman and then her scream just sounds like shit. And then you go into the editing bay where we meet uh, Jack Terry, the protagonist of the film, played by John Travolta, who's just, you know, busting a gut over how terrible uh, the scream is because he is, of course, a maestro of sound design working in the B-horror realm, you know. Uh, Much like Brian De Palma, many people would say he's like, you know, a master of the form working in a very trashy realm. But, of course, De Palma loves this shit. It's not like uh, Jack Terry who would probably rather be doing other things but also you know jack's character he's not really like he knows that his skills aren't being put to the best use but he's also he doesn't have these like crazy highbrow art aspirations either kill it you're right it's hers and it's shit look jack I didn't hire that girl for her scream I hired that girl for her tits the younger character the the teen boy in dressed to kill and Travolta's character here, you have to see them as kind of like De Palma analogs mm-hmm. 
in if nothing just for their like their intimate relationships with their own equipment that they use to um i don't know you know uh, in this case you know and blow out you know terry's a sound recordist and like i you know after that kind of like a uh, fake horror movie intro wonderful intro we get like kind of that split screen di- dynamic where we kind of have the news just kind of doing an exposition dump, you know, it's like, you know, the governor, why he might, you know, be a, a hot target or whatever. And then Travolta is just kind of fiddling with his sound equipment going yeah. through like kind of a fully, you know, sound effects that he has. And it's just, it's a great warm up for the movie, you know, just kind of like a man kind of like finagling with his gear and you kind of get the, the setup of the movie at the same time, kind of De Palma having his cake and, you know, eating it too there. Yeah, it's like that little split screen uh, sequence is just like you introduce the audience to the mind of the main character, where his mind is at, uh, preoccupied with sound effects and the environment that it's placing him in, which is this, you know, a political or a presidential election that is, you know, heating up with a candidate who, as you said, might be a hot target, Malcolm. (laughs) Uh, So then we get just one of my favorite sequences in any De Palma movie, the field recordings at night where John Travolta is out of park. You know, he's kind of peeping on some people. Uh, you get the amazing split diopter of that owl uh, oh, fuck yeah. hooting around, looking around while uh, Travolta is just kind of, you know, fishing for whatever sound effects he can get when he hears the assassination of the candidate. Uh, and, you know, we see a car crash into uh, the lake that he was standing over on a bridge. We see him dive into the water to, you know, rescue the girl that's in the car, which is, of course, Nancy Allen. And when he's dragging her out of the water, we just get this insane overhead shot. And like a lot of the De Palma overheads, they make enough sense, like where it's like the camera is on the level of where the ceiling of that room would be. Mm -hmm. But here you just see like all this foliage, like the trees and shit. And it's like, is this the point of view of the owl we were watching before (laughs) or something? Like it's, it's such an insane. I don't think Dennis Franz got up there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love like, I mean, what you were saying about at the beginning of the sequence, just how much he builds out in here, because it's like, you like if you've seen this before you know you're going to be living in this moment of like uh, like a few minutes Mm -hmm. for the rest of the film and watch it like played out and like every there's like an obsessive level of detail paid to each sound effect and i love how he just like it feels so nonchalant in the beginning, but so stylish to show these little signifiers that will come up again. Like you see the couple, you see the owl, and it makes it so much more impactful when he plays it again and again and again. Uh, also, of course, the conspiracy starts right away when he's in the hospital and like the aid to the candidate, I guess, is just like, uh, you know, denying the fact that he rescued the girl from the car. Just like uh, clearly the candidate didn't want to be, uh, you know, caught dead with a uh, a lady of the night. Uh, yeah, it's not a, you know, I love I love when they go to the hospital, too, because, you know, I think. You know, there's a couple instances in this movie where De Palma's just working with crowds and crowds of people. And, like, I love this one where we kind of get the tracking shots of, like, Travolta walking through the hospital. And you have, like, all this fleshed out commotion in the background. I was, I was just thinking this time, it's like, what a, this is, like, an expensive oh, movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, like, it's so, I don't know, every aspect of every location is, like, fleshed out with, like, commotion with extras or whatever and, you know, whatnot. And it's... I, I don't know, just like 
seeing De Palma kind of just subtly navigate through this while also having a focus on that. It's just, I mean, props to his visual master. And he's like shooting at like real big, like Philly mm-hmm. places. Like, you know, True, like yeah. these are all like, like, I don't know, very populated locations. He I've, has to shut down. I've been to Philly once and, you know, I, I think I remember that little market that uh oh reading terminal market yeah, the, yeah. the where john lithgow does the first like little stocking through that yeah yeah that's that's great i i mean not to jump ahead of ourselves but oh, like um with uh i always i was gonna call him uh let's call him something different but john lithgow lithgow uh <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna call him Joni Mitchell for some reason. <laughs> okay, uh, no idea why. Guess it's the J. Psychoanalysts <laughs> listening can fish that one out, <laughs> figure out what's going on in Malcolm's brain. Yeah, please do. Please send an email. Even if the show is ended by now, I might still need help. Um, but yeah, give me a personal email. On yeah. that one. <laughs> but Lithgow, I like. I love how Lithgow because he's the one. He's kind of doing the dirty work of the political conspiracy, mm-hmm. right? Um, kind of trying to track Nancy Allen down and get rid of her. And like, it's kind of, I like this thing where it's like, kind of like his job half, like he just kind of becomes obsessed with killing women, you know, Mm -hmm. even though he's got a job to do, he's just like, I'm just going to like do some serial killing here too. And the first one like seems kind of like, cause he, he accidentally quote unquote, you know, kills two women that look like Nancy Allen. And the first one genuinely does seem like an accident or whatever. Got the wrong woman. Well, but also, it's just De Palma's editing and camera yeah. work there, obscuring her face perfectly and intercutting it with Nancy Allen walking around to make it look like he's actually tailing her. No, yeah, exactly. But And then the second time when he's posing to be the reporter, it's like, this. he's just killing this girl. He's just yeah. warming up yeah. for, yeah, he's for just, Nancy Allen. He's just mad that there is a prostitute. Like uh, he, He's just waiting for Nancy Allen and he just hears this prostitute talking to a sailor uh say you got about 60 minutes and about 60 dollars oh no did i say that yeah, uh you did say that no i think i've uh about 20 minutes and about uh 20 dollars what i've got gee it's too bad you don't have about 40 minutes and about 40 dollars yeah that's too bad that's really too bad yeah that's too bad what i've got is about uh 20 minutes and about 20 dollars we know the trains never come in on time. They're always running late here, and they're notorious. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. He could have saved his money. He just yeah. uh, handed her a $2 bill. <laughs> he got two minutes. <laughs> but... <laughs> I, I just um, like uh, De Palma. needed. <laughs> yeah. De Palma's kind of like, I don't know, his perverse tendencies kind of like sidetracking Lithgow in this movie, but to like a very entertaining end. I, I mean, I think the like kind of like the main game of Blowout, there's so many times where De Palma, he's, it's dece- he's tricking him. He's trying to, I feel like more so than any other movie, he's, he's kind of pulling out the rug. Um, you know, under people. And it's, I, I mean, it works every time for me. So th- there are a few threads going on. Of course, there's also the Dennis Franz thread. He publicizes, you know, the film he shot of this thing. So then we realize, you know, Dennis Franz isn't in with the po- uh, the politicians in their camp. He just has his little sleazy business with Nancy Allen where they, you know, set her up with married men uh, to take sleazy pictures. Uh, you know, they just call it divorce work. Uh, <laughs> and at one point, Franz is watching Murder a la Mode, Brian De Palma's first film uh, in his bedroom, which is, you know, a nice little nod to himself there. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I was Ryan usually doesn't that go was. that hard. But. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. Just like living in the worst apartment ever yeah. in like always a dirty, stained wife beater just drinking straight from the bottle. Yeah, like, it, it seems like he's just been in his apartment drinking 
for you know all day every time we see him yeah dude when he it's so funny how he like gets ready when nancy allen walks up to the door (laughs) because (laughs) he just doesn't change out of his dirty wife beater but he clearly is like getting ready for to have company you know (laughs) i gotta look i gotta look good for her Uh, but yeah, as we said, you know, there's also John Lithgow tailing them. And uh, once Jack, you know, uh, gives in to, you know, hand this tape over to uh, a journalist, Lithgow is able to pose as that journalist. But more than anything, I think the most fascinating thing is Jack, you know, recreating Uh, this moment through the filmmaking process first what he does is he gets the stills that are publicized from Dennis Franz's film and he goes into an animation studio and shoots them one at a time to construct this you know version of the film and then he's able to get the original film and you just spend so much time with him you know uh, whether he's like looping his sound effects or just like syncing stuff up. And I don't know, the, the fetishism of the equipment here is so amazing because of all the fetishes that Brian De Palma has shown through his films, I feel like the filmmaking equipment, the, the apparatus, as well as the, the male apparatus, you know, being tied one to another uh, is mo- more exemplified in these two movies than anything else other than maybe High Mom where you have that bit where De Niro is filming across the uh, the way and uh, the camera <laughs> goes flaccid and he loses all his footage. <laughs> Another great De Palma picture. But yeah, I think that's kind of like the little scheme De Palma set up here is very, you know, I'm very entertained by it. It's like you got to you got to solve this crime by making a movie. That's yeah. you know, that's how we're going to solve crime. That's how we're taking his own skill and applying it to, you know, this world of crime and it's you know, it's kind of like I don't know, like especially since it's like the editing process that's sp- uh, focused on specifically, you know, not production or anything like that, but like kind of like just being in those editing r- rooms and kind of stitching things together and kind of like how much uh, attention is given to that process and then how, you know, it kind of that informs his kind of like emotional attachment mm-hmm. to what's going on and to Nancy Allen. And it's like, you know, because of course it's like you've got the real life human stakes here and kind of like the grand conspiracy, which obviously the character cares a lot about, you know, he d- uh, deals a lot with, you know, telling the truth against the fake news. You know, it's a hard thing, mm-hmm. but uh, it, even more so he gets this emotional attachment through the film process. And, you know, that's kind of what makes the ending that much more devastating mm-hmm. too. You know what I mean? He's like, I got to do something with this footage. And you also have much like in body double, the kind of impotence of the voyeur yes. slash listener, you know, he's not able to save people uh, like you have that flashback of when he was working for the cops wiring a cop and then getting that cop killed because the cops sweat through the wire and shorted it out uh, much like how <laughs> I, I, I watching this this time I could only think of uh, the stories of Henry Rollins going through like five or six mics during a single performance because he would sweat so much that he would short out all the microphones <laughs> how does that even work is he does he have like the headset microphone going he's just on? like right on the fucking mic and he's just drenched so he's just like dripping so much sweat onto the mic that it shorts out back off the mic pal (laughs) he's a passionate man (laughs) 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 wearing nothing but gym shorts and he still can't fucking hold back the sweat (laughs) for some reason that made me think of like those pictures of morrissey that came out like three years ago just him shirtless like fat as fuck performing on stage (laughs) 
<laughs> Rollins right. would never look. No, like yeah, that. True. my hero Henry Rollins <laughs> would never look like that fucking slob Morris. I feel like he, Rollins <laughs> is on like that health food kick, right? Oh, I feel yeah, like I've heard him talk. You know. He's fit, dude. <laughs> Rollins has been jacked since he fucking quit his job at the ice cream store to tour with the flag. <laughs> well, I'm glad he helped out a, a fellow musician with Sia and uh, of course movie music. And I don't, you know, I guess I, I feel like maybe not a lot of people listen to that episode because they hadn't seen the movie. But yes, Henry Rollins is in Sia's music, which you can listen to us talk about. And I guess Morrissey's making albums for Armand White, so you could, you know. Weigh it out, you know, see who's more That's successful. <laughs> both of them, both of them, kind of are on the extended clip roster in some yeah. way. Or another. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but of course, uh, the the impotence of the voyeur leads to a second chance, not unlike Vertigo, one of De Palma's favorite films, uh, where he now gets to wire up Sally for the climax. And so you have Sally, Nancy Allen's character, you know, making this drop with the news reporter, who turns out to be just John Lithgow out to kill her. And I just love the intercutting of that climax where uh, I almost said De Palma, but Travolta <laughs> is just listening on his receiver and he has to like drive through the parade while they're taking the subway. And it's just those two planes of action that are so close geographically, but feel like they're so far away because, you know, he's struggling so much to make out exactly what's going on and obviously loses her and drives through a parade and fucking, (laughs) I love, that's one of my favorite like leaps of logic in a De Palma movie is him being able to get away with just like driving through a parade like a terrorist and fucking like hopping out of the ambulance. Like he drives through, the building is fucking City Hall (laughs) in Philly. And he just like drives through that and crashes into a fucking department store. And it's like, oh, this guy can just walk out the ambulance. But also it's like at that point, it's like I, I realized like because, you know, I've seen the movie before, but I was like halfway he's driving through the parade is like, did they go that way? Like, that's <laughs> what I was thinking. Like, why? I don't think they went that way. Like, I don't there's not a shot showing him go that way. But I, like, a, yeah, that is that is like a sick timeline of events. That's like that seems like a weird thing to like write out even be yeah. like crashes in. Then fast forward like four hours, he's in the ambulance, just pops out, you know. Uh, Also, they had to reshoot that whole fucking parade sequence. Apparently, the reels, like four reels of footage were either lost or stolen. And they literally had to reshoot that entire like parade set piece, which is insane logistically to think about. Like that's easily the most expensive part of your movie. It's going to take the most man hours to like figure out the city of Philadelphia. Not happy with you. I'm sure. (laughs) But I have to say, I mean, Hey, it's well worth it. Cause I mean, that's so impressive. And like the way, like kind of like the camera placement too, there's kind of something like on the car, like there's kind of like kind of stark and distancing about Mm -hmm. it as like, like he swerved, like he's you turning away from all those cops and they're swarming like bugs, you know, around. Yeah. It's like, it's very, I mean, yeah, it's, it's impressive. It's flashy. Yeah. The dynamic between like the camera mounted right up against the windshield to yeah. see him in a little bit of the blurry background versus those huge overhead shots that yeah. they use is like so effective. And then finally, of course, he gets there uh, to Lithgow and Nancy Allen, but just too late after that incredible iconic shot of the two of them in front of the American flag and she's like screaming out for him. Uh, it's just a great impression, Thank Malcolm. <laughs> I, I, I like the decision kind of like when he starts running away, um, you know, towards the balcony or whatever, you know, Lithgow and Nancy Allen are on. Like, I love how it goes to slow motion and like he's literally running against the crowd, you know, the the... 
I, you know, I, I want, I want the conspiracists to get on this movie because it, it does champion the, the conspiracy theorists. We literally see him run against crowd, you know, groupthink. You know what I mean? All these patriots, all these people here, for the Liberty <laughs> Bill, and he's running the opposite direction towards the truth, the grim and dark truth that <laughs> will haunt him forever. Um, and I say that I don't know jokingly, but it is. I think that is like a very I don't know. It's an effective you know little metaphor there, and like the slow motion's great, and then. Some of the best use of fireworks I've seen in a movie where it's like, of course, that great shot of like Travolta holding, you know, a passed away Alan as you get like that swivel shot of the fireworks. But I love how like even before that you have like you don't see the fireworks in frame, but you see like the 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 reflection of their lights on Travolta. It looks so it looks great. Yeah, I mean, I you can't top the ending of Blowout. It's yeah. just like one of the greatest things I've ever seen and becomes even more like ironically tragic than it can possibly be when after. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I guess, you know, I, I say that the thing about him driving through the parade was absurd only because the very ending just shows him back at work, like nothing happened kind of. Yeah. Obviously not like nothing happened because he's like clearly devastated. But then of course the the horror movie from the beginning he's working on it again and he's found his perfect scream and it's nancy allen dying which is just like one of the most it's very body double like in terms of it's like very harsh implication of the film industry's exploitation of not just like uh morality and labor but human life itself and uh it's so fucking devastating what what a way to end a movie yeah it is it's it's super super sad it's and like i love how like the transition from the fireworks to him like sitting in the snow you know just kind of like small you know just kind of uh details that just yeah make it all more effective any final thoughts on this one jt um i'm going five bullets masterpiece one of my favorite movies if not my favorite de palma is just like firing on all cylinders here like it's just great set piece after great set piece and just like there isn't a frame of this that doesn't look extraordinarily beautiful like the color that happens at the end i think like there's a moment when they're in the bar before uh travolta they do the flashback scene and nancy allen is just has like a hint of like red over her there that looks fucking amazing and to go like a little bit like Tom Anderson mode. I love the way he like. I think De Palma lived in Philly like at some point growing up, um, and his understanding of the geography generally checks out here. Like it's all around. Like I mean, he stops by like the Wissahickon and the park in the beginning, um, and then it's mostly like contained to like Center City, Philadelphia, and then the little chase sort of goes like. I, I buy it. It makes sense well enough, and I think it's a clear understanding of the setting, and he gets, like, big landmarks in it, like Reading Terminal, uh, the 30th Street Station, where uh, Lithgow and Nancy Allen meet up, and he also does the, the little bathroom prostitute murder. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, it's so much to love in this movie. Yeah, so all that's much missing to... is a uh, hoagie from Wawa. Exactly. Sure. A good old cheesesteak. <laughs> <laughs> it's just meat and that's not right you know it's just beef and cheese were you a <laughs> cheesesteak guy when you were living there um i had them from time to time yeah i mean they're common enough not like i just not not once a day for sure <laughs> maybe once a week now i i is the thing real where some of those places they just put like cheese whiz you can do that yeah is that Wherever you want. Is i that do good? provolone uh, provolone with onions Provol- so that's that's nice that sounds that's, classic. Yeah, that's yeah, classic yeah, yeah. yeah. but i mean i was never a whiz guy but I'm not. 
I'm a little conservative. Yeah. Wiz uh, is for home use. I don't want to go go to a place and they're putting Wiz on my shit. Yeah. I remember eating... <laughs> this is so weird. This is going to be a very strange thing to say. Bring it back to Tom Anderson. Uh, the <laughs> fake McDonald's that's uh, in, I think, City of Industry that's shown in Los Angeles plays itself. Uh, I have a very vivid memory as a child of eating crackers and cheese Whiz outside of the fake McDonald's. Interesting. And you're like, this is kind of like a Big Mac. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, any final thoughts on this one, Malcolm? I thought I thought I know this wasn't going to happen, but I thought you're like I went to the fake McDonald's and I brought some real McDonald's in there and I ate some <laughs> yeah. as a form of rebellion, just protest. Yeah, uh, five, five bullets. Uh, one of the best movies of all time. I've said my piece. What about you, Eddie? Yeah, I feel like there's uh, not too much else to say. I mean, we could go super dense and long on it, but obviously this is an edition of The Sixth Sense where we all agree on a rating. This is as easy as a five bullet as it gets, except for maybe our next movie. Um, I love the way that Vilmos Zygmunt shoots this. You know, we talk about dynamics with De Palma, you know, two sides of different coins. You look at two of his collaborations with Zygmunt and you got... Uh, obsession and this one and obsession has that classic like super gauzy yeah. uh, very like diffused feel to it where it feels like it's taking place within a dream almost but this one feels so much more just like in the moment and now and like it's all shot so cleanly and I feel like the uh, difference between them is that obsession has so much to do with history uh, and this one it invokes history of America but it also is so much more about just like contemporary American paranoia and uh, you know you got to live in the moment <laughs> true uh, but yeah I, I, I don't got much else to say on it five bullets we'll be right back on extended clip Will Smith has had a rough go in the media. You know, it's like getting, he's getting cuffed. That's like the big news. Well, I mean, he's proud about it. He's proud about it. Well, I mean, I, he's talking about it. I, you know, yeah, he's 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 putting. He's out leading the, first, the narrative. He's leading the narrative. That's good. This is the first time hearing of this. You haven't seen that clip of? It's like him with his wife, where yeah, he's like. Was she cheating on him, or was it like an open marriage thing? I, th I mean, th I don't think those details were ever released, but it was like it became public that Jado was cheating on him with an R and B singer, and uh, and then there was like some sort of they had like a round table, a very public round table about it. He's just it's and it's he pretty would... leftist of him to share his wife's <laughs> pussy like that. <laughs> you know, one of the biggest stars <laughs> in the world, and then you have the Tupac shit every year. We're like Jada Pinkett Smith post every year on Tupac's birthday because they used to like be you know like they had a really close relationship and like being like like you're the love of my life Tupac like I miss you every day so he's getting cucked by August Alsina and Tupac's ghost pretty hard emotionally and physically he's getting he's getting dommed in his marriage wow just spilled sprite all over myself <laughs> is that like an incredibles 2 anthony yeah. lane situation you uh, <laughs> spilled your sprite all over the theater <laughs> we're back on extended clip it's everyone's favorite segment 
Malcolm in the Middle slash Malcolm's Celebrity Gossip Update. <laughs> that was true. That was very like, that was very bitch of me to know uh-huh. all that. <laughs> you were going straight Perez Hilton. Perez Hilton. <laughs> Team, I'm, you, you might see me in the TMZ office. That would be a good pivot for you to make. They, you know, they got some shifts, so I might. They might. You don't be surprised a month from now that you're watching TMZ on your TV and they cut to me and I'm like, oh yeah, Johnny Johnny Depp's taking the loss from Amber Heard or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. <laughs> but you I, watch anything this week? Yeah, yeah. I watched. Uh, <laughs> I watched Waiting, by Rob McKenatrick or something, some kind of Irish name like that. Um, but you know, I want to give him proper credit, so let's look it up. You talked about Porky's a few weeks ago, and <laughs> I thought that Waiting was a remake of Porky's for like 10 years. Well, you know, it's not. It's not. <laughs> but it does kind of have that same 80s comedy can-do gross-out spirit where, uh, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar or could even guess. It's like a, it's like a, a day in the life of a, a waiting staff at like a, you know, kind of like a big shetty, like Chili-style restaurant mm. or something like that. We got Justin Long, who's, you know... The epic waiter who can memorize orders. Exactly. I remember this movie from middle school. (laughs) Yeah, and Ryan Reynolds, kind of like the the aging, cool, the coolest guy at the, you know, at the restaurant. You know, he's trying to fuck, you know, all the underage girls at the restaurant and stuff like that. But he's kind of getting... cool. Yeah, he's getting getting (laughs) called out. Everyone's like, you're pathetic. You know, all the girls, of course. And it's kind of like you have a John Francis Daly, you know, I think Sam from Freaks and Geeks was his big role. He's kind of like the new guy, hiree. And so we kind of see it all through, you know, his eyes as like a trainee. And you know what? First of all, the Ryan Reynolds swag is turned on in this movie. And it, I, I, get, I get to where I see, you know, his appeal here, I guess. And it's kind of mutated into something very grotesque, you know, kind of like Deadpool or... Uh, you know, free guy or whatever. It kind of like, cause like the conceit here is like Reynolds is kind of like a, you know, he's a loser, you know, he's the coolest guy in like a, a restaurant, but it's like, this is, this is not, you know, it's kind of a pathetic realm to, to rule over kind of same dynamic in like adventure land too. I don't know. He's, he's going to use better back in the day. And I don't know, this is, it's, it's a packed cast. You got talented people working in this movie. Anna Faris, Luis Guzman, Andy Milanakis, Milanakis as, and, uh, as a uh, Nick Dane cook in the background, you know what I mean? And I don't know. It's just, a, and I think it's a movie that's kind of well balanced. It kind of gives in terms of just like how it calibrates, like, like each character is kind of given a good amount of like space to do, you know, their screenwritery, like kind of comedic character quirks. I think it's mostly funny. There's like a, a running gag throughout the movie that where, if you surprise someone by showing them your penis, you get to, you know, kick them in the ass and call them, you know, homophobic slurs because they're gay for looking at your penis. And there's a lot of fun gags, you know, made out of that. A lot of, you know, guys waiting in rooms with their dicks out. And it's, uh, I, I, I think the, the vibe that they, they perfected it, you know, in this movie kind of like, uh, I don't know, maybe this movie's bad. I I can't really... <laughs> No, but I like I like I like that. I can't really find too many words to describe it. But I think it's just like pretty stacked cast, well written. I mean, of course, it's not that visually impressive, but it's ninety minutes. I don't know, kind of plotless for the most part too. It's kind of more focused on like dynamics and kind of like games that you know the chefs and the waiters play and kind of like the ins and outs of that. So I like that aspect. Yeah, I don't know if I'll check out the sequel. Still waiting. 
but also I got to give it credit. One of the worst, ugliest looking fucking posters of all time yeah. with a, <laughs> a very ugly yellow background. Very like everyone's face looks weirdly photoshopped. <laughs> Like, the, like even some of the characters in the background, they don't quite have a human shape to them. And you have a very gross plate of steak, which is like referring, you know, when there's when you got a fucking bitch at your table, you know, you, you get to spit and scratch your dandruff into her meal or whatever. So I don't know. Maybe and we've all worked at restaurants yeah, yeah. and it definitely happens like that. That yeah. sounds what. Yeah. Well, it's yeah, it's it's probably not realistic. You know what I mean? I don't you know, maybe none of these people who wrote this movie ever had to work in a restaurant. Who knows? But maybe I'm just going through all the Comedy Central staples that I was too young for back in the day. And, you know, maybe I'm just having a, a somewhat pleasant time. That's where my movie watching is at, <laughs> at this point, you know. So you watched a movie that people generally hate and had a good time with it. JT, did you watch a movie that's getting some kind of positive notice and not have a great time with it? You're right, Eddie. That's <laughs> that's that's very there true. We, we are the flip side of the same coin. I guess we're this a coin. Week. <laughs> you guys are a coin. I'm over here watching the Rockford Files. <laughs> you're fucking. You're straight cash money, dude. You're straight bills. <laughs> um. But yeah, I watched uh, The Last Duel uh, by Ridley Scott uh, after, you know it, you love it, you've seen the trailers with all the facial hair, all the things. A lot of promo for this movie, I feel like. You see Nicole Hall-Center's name, oh man, I've already bought my fucking ticket. (laughs) There were enough things to draw me into this movie that I like was going into being like, yeah, I'm probably not going to like this. Yeah. But I don't know. That's uh, I feel like oftentimes in the middle segment we'll wind up chomping at the bit to talk about like a movie in the range of like a two and a half to three and a half star ceiling of yeah. like a recent release. And this is one where it's like I didn't quite like The Last Duel, but I think there are some interesting things to chew on now. Um, like I like the structural conceit. It's like set up in... Uh, three chapter, yeah, it's like three or four chapters. It's some amount of chapters. The first three parts of the movie are you get all the perspectives. You get the Damon where he's like some sort of like cucked uh, loser um, squire. He kind of still he kind of has like similar facial hair from Stillwater in the last. <laughs> I, if you've, he kind of has like the same look going on, but sold yeah. me on it. It seems like maybe a similar type of guy. I mean, he's like impotently angry, like driver, uh, is, uh, Jacques Legree who mm-hmm. they're all Frenchmen, which is funny to see, um, uh, Affleck be playing a guy named Pierre. <laughs> uh, 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 um, <laughs> that just, I really enjoyed that a lot. Damon is really pissed. Driver is this squire who is just like from no like no means and he is just doing real hot because he's friends with Affleck. They have like looser morals. They're fucking pussy left and right. They're just hopping around, uh, having a ball, and uh Damon kinda gets uh screwed out of some land deals. And there's some born bullshit like that. That was really like the first uh, chapter from Damon's perspective, I was like, okay, this is kind of a slog. I wasn't really that into it. Then they do the driver perspective of the events. And I, I like I what I like most about the movie is how it, like, obviously it's like something that has been compared to Rashomon a lot. But it's not exactly the same thing. Like, each perspective is still shot 
in like pretty much the exact same way. And even the character perspectives and differences are like not radical changes. It's just you see a little bit more from like another person's side of view. And I like seeing how like you can change things just like a little bit in the editing. And I think that's really the most compelling like uh, aspect of the film is they're just like you're seeing how much like minor variations can like impact a scene or impact like the perspective of how something is played. And I think that like plays a lot more to maybe how it was written. I think it's like an interesting like screenwritery uh, trick like that. Um, but then the third chapter is uh, Jody Comer's and it's her perspective. And each uh, segment is like the truth according to whatever this character. Oh, okay. And then it like fades out. But then when you're at uh, Jody Comer's character, uh, Marguerite, uh, it's the it, the truth stays oh. a little bit longer. Oh. And so it's like maybe, maybe I'm fucking pissed off already. <laughs> maybe damn. the maybe the chick is right about this one. Yeah. Um, but I don't like I, I think it's an interesting decision to do like a me too story um, through a medieval lens. And I think why don't you it, give us the names Affleck and Damon? <laughs> no, <laughs> don't don't need to atone through this movie. I'm sorry. But <laughs> <laughs> give us the name. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, um, they like because there are points in it which are like compelling enough and make for an interesting uh perspective i think the clash in like doing a me too story like set then because in drivers telling of the story when it comes to the point where he winds up uh raping marguerite um it's still a rape like uh, by spoilers. like <laughs> by like today's <laughs> yeah. standards it's like he is raping her even in, but his he's selling it as like oh the, we were in love like she loved me right from the beginning like knew it kind of a thing mm -hmm. but it's still like it's funny that like in his trying to defend himself cut and dry version of it it's still like yeah that's still fucked up which i think like is a lot of what the film is getting at of like historically how women have been treated and whatnot like there's a trial scene that happens in uh the marguerite uh chapter where I think they do some stuff that I think is a little obvious and annoying um, where she's like pregnant at the time. And like one loose plot thread is that um, Damon and her have been trying to conceive and have been married for five uh. years. And then they're grilling her about this rape and like asking like, did you like being fucked? Like, did you like this? And it's all like, of course, like terrible stuff that would be happening at the time. Um, and there's one line in particular where, um, like a priest is like, well, you're pregnant now. You weren't pregnant for five years. As we all know, you cannot get pregnant from rape. So maybe you <laughs> fucked Adam Driver and you liked it. And it's just like the the thing of him. It's a hypothesis of him being so like, I'm sure people believed at the time that uh, you couldn't get pregnant from rape. But the line yeah. there, I, I don't know, feels like. A little heavy-handed about that. A little type too of educational. A little too. Um, but I don't know. It's the most interesting of the like obvious like Me Too tales that I've seen um, because of how it's like playing with perspective um, there. And I do like, even though I don't think it's shot like in the necessarily the most interesting way. The ultimate like the the final duel that happens. Yeah. A pretty fun time. Pretty brutal to watch the fellas. Are both kind of assholes 
uh, just roll around in the muck and get uh, violent up on each other. That's I forgot nice. there was violence in the movie. That's yeah, no, it's they the re- duel. They <laughs> really hide the violence until the end. Um, I mean, there's some like wars and shit like that, but it looks like it looks like absolute yeah. trash. I think I'll stick to Game of Thrones from it now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking Sorry. of Game of Thrones, I didn't watch many movies this week. I mainly watched television. Uh-oh. Uh, but before there was Game of Thrones, there was The Rockford Files. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I've been watching a lot. I rewatched, you know, the first two seasons of Mad Men in about a week. And that show, you don't need any more people telling you that it's great. Obviously, one of the best shows. But uh, I wanted to talk about a Rockford Files episode I watched last night. Uh, another one written by Sopranos creator David Chase. He has his name on a lot of the, the great episodes I've watched so far. This one, uh, season four, episode eight, Irving the Explainer. Right away, uh, you know, Jim Rockford's asked to track down a painting uh, that was previously owned by a classic Hollywood director. And I was like, at first, I was like, oh, man, they're going to, you know, rewrite history, put, put like Howard Hawks in this bitch. But they, they make up a director for good purposes. <laughs> they make up this director who was uh, very free thinking and right wing and believed that Nazism was good for Europe. <laughs> uh, but also things that were uh, given to his bona fides were that like, uh, you know, if Howard Hawks wasn't available, he was the second guy the studio would get. <laughs> Uh, and it, it feels like uh, a lot of the dialogue feels very much like, um, you know, the the classic Hollywood fetishism of The Sopranos. Like, I feel like David Chase's obsession with classical uh, crime cinema really shines through in both of these uh, TV shows. And this one in particular, in terms of cinema's place in world history, or cinema history and world history colliding, kind of. And so you have this director who never really got full-on auteurist bona fides, but of course the French still studied him. <laughs> and the Germans. Yeah, I, yeah I mean, hey. Uh, so, yeah, it's like the, there's, you know, this 30-year-old murder that he was tangentially involved in, and there's this missing painting that he's trying to track down, and a daughter of his who's named after Goering's house in Germany or something like that. And uh, it's just like so many threads in this episode and you have like all these you know characters popping up that have never been there before like uh, Daphne Ishawahara who is studying logic at UCLA just like uh, just like random characters coming to help out and there's a lot of that kind of stuff in Rockford Files but I feel like this really stuffs it to the brim and to the point where you really have no idea what's happening until like three minutes left the titular Irving the Explainer this dude just like dumps himself on the front lawn and it's like well I murdered the guy and or I murdered the girl and the painting doesn't matter and it's like oh so we were just kind of running around doing nothing for 45 minutes but uh in the best way possible you know there's a great chase uh down one of the canyons between the valley and uh la proper and you know it's much like body double which we're about to talk about the rockford files is just such an incredible piece of la uh topography you know you get so much of the city's culture just through exterior shots and uh yeah, check out the Rockford Files. It's on IMDb TV. Everyone, hey, I watched some Mad Men seasons on IMDb TV. So can't knock it. Yeah, hey, Letterbox needs to step their game. Where's Letterbox TV at? The, 
<laughs> Boy, I tell you, give uh, Brad Pitt like a okay. like a uh, at the movie style show with uh, let's, uh, Demi, that guy. We'll be right back on extended clip. <laughs> Jake, I'd like you to meet my favorite neighbor. Okay. Is here? Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> Gets better. <laughs> <laughs> What's she doing? Keep watching. You'll see. You want to get a little closer? You bet. Oh, my God. Uh, she's a little out of focus. Yes. 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 <laughs> Hang on. Yes. <laughs> she do this a lot? Like clockwork every night. And we're back on extended clip. It's body double. Body Double, like Blowout, opens on a horror film within the film uh, as we see our main character, Jake Scully, uh, played by Craig Wasson at his most Maharian. I think a lot of people, and I agree, I guess, like the thesis on Wasson in this movie, saying his last name, Wasson, like Wasson. Wasson is that like it's you know it's crazy how like De Palma can make such a great movie centered around like a pretty unremarkable actor or whatever, but it's like he's acting into that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I I think you know it's funny. It's a funny note to give, and we probably won't discuss it that much more. Solid acting from Craig Wasson in this movie, and don't let people tell you otherwise. He he nails this role. Oh, absolutely. Like on an objective scale, you know, as we called him before, Joe Moviegoer, uh, pretty bad performance. But when you're looking at what the film is doing and what the film is asking you to think about and how it provokes, you know, standards of film reality and artificiality, it's a perfect performance. It's like he couldn't have gotten a better bozo for this role. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of artificiality right away, you know, we uh, we see him you know, unable to get out of the tomb that he's in, uh, in this film within the film directed by sleaze maestro Dennis Franz and the, the sun on the set, like the fake sun that they have explodes and Dennis Franz says, Oh, we're out of sunlight, you know? And, uh, right after that, you know, you get the title over a fake background that's being wheeled around a studio. And it's like, even right after that, then you have him driving home uh, to find out that he's getting cucked, and you have that great like rear projection that looks super artificial. Yeah. And right away, the film is just telling you how to watch it. Like this stuff is going to be even less realistic and more indebted to not just Hollywood history, but Hollywood sleaze history. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, just about anything in Brian De Palma's filmography. It is one of the most lurid movies ever. Uh, after he struggled with the MPAA and like getting. Uh, Scarface, you know, hadn't cut that down a little bit because of an X rating. He said something along the lines of, "Oh, they want an X rated film? I'll give him a fucking X rated <laughs> yeah. film. Yeah, this is going to be the the sexiest and most suspenseful movie I could possibly make." And he really went balls to the walls with the sleaze here. And uh, it's just, it's one of my favorite movies. Yeah, it's just like there's so much dirty, horny trickery in this that like. I love this in comparison to like blood is so much more serious. And this is like just obviously he hits like specific beats, but this is so fun. Mm -hmm. And especially uh, just wassons, (laughs) Uh, uh, just like him being a bozo. It's uh, like 
when De Palma has a bozo in a movie, it's just so fun to watch them stumble through and have things kind of happen to them. I love, I mean, it just shows De Palma's love of sleaze comparing like the two different like uh, fake horror movies that intro both our movies, right? You kind of have like a more traditional POV, like you said, Michael Myers, a slasher with like, uh, you know, the fake movie and blowout. And this one kind of feels more like a, a European erotic film. Yeah. You know, it's like a very slow and kind of like ornate, tacky set design here. Yeah, like a and, Mario Bava, Jean Rolin kind of joint. Yeah, and like <laughs> the Wasson's like his glitter in his hands. <laughs> yeah, also <laughs> makes me <laughs> leftover glam rock from Phantom of the Paradise. Yes, exactly. it's, a, it's a very, very funny movie that's hypothetically being made here. But yeah, I mean, like, uh, I was talking about the music with the last one. I mean, that music you hear when we see sunny, bright-faced Wasson just driving back home, only to discover he's getting cocked. But for some reason, even though that's fake, that drive with the thick orchestral music kind of pumping in just gets me so pumped for the rest of the movie. You know, just that, that fake optimism, even though that obviously fades you know i'm still happy even though he's getting cooked uh one thing i never noticed about this film when he's walking through his hallways and you see a lot of movie posters including the wizard of oz you also see one for woody allen's manhattan yeah <laughs> never noticed that. <laughs> it's like the fourth fifth time i've seen this movie um as one uh <laughs> as one porn actress later in the film uh says on accident I'm a bit of an expositionist. <laughs> uh, the exposition is laid down like just one after the fucking other uh, in the first like 15 minutes of this film. I love how like just robotically uh, robotically De Palma just lays out all the information that you need. You know, it's like, okay, he's, he, his wife is cheating on him and he's drinking again after quitting. You know, he's going to Barney's Beanery, which, hey, we've all been there, you know. True. We've, we've, we, we, me and you went together to Barney's it's Beanery. It's true. Uh, I did not indulge. Uh, you know, I was like a pre-cuck wasson there. You know, the bartender knows me, but it's for my Diet Coke and hamburger. <laughs> also, that drink, like, you know, not to be IMDb goofs here, the drinking does not factor into the rest it's of the movie so at all. Yeah. yeah. You're drinking again, man. <laughs> I, like it, it, I love that the beginning with that because it seems like the bartender is going to be such a major character, yeah. throughout the movie, and he's not really not but at you, all. You, you do get, you do get like the first, uh, like yeah, like info dump, and like, yeah, like the way kind of, I mean, as it's revealed later in the movie, like it, you know, it's there's kind of been you know strings pulled to where it would things would happen this way but it's so like yeah the movie just kind of just sets itself up in such a s speedy way just him finding the the place to sublet it all just mm -hmm. happens too fast too conveniently you know what i mean kind of almost in movie fashion you know, for us to, you know, later realize, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, that was what was intended. So he meets this guy, Sam Bouchard, played by Greg Henry, who uh, overhears him talking about how he needs a place to sublet. And, you know, his eyes wide open uh, at that point. His eyes are wide open at that point. And even though they're under sunglasses, you could still tell just like the expression that he's making. He's like, OK, this guy is perfect mark, you know, and he uh coincidentally runs into him at a few places uh including his acting school where this like acting teacher is just like trying to exploit the fears and inner mechanisms of Craig Wasson's brain while just like touching him inappropriately kind of and uh, it's just insane what a what a crazy scene that is and then you get a long scene of them drinking together and um 
Sam offers him this bachelor pad to sublet. Yeah. And the fucking chemosphere. Dude. That's such a cool, like, just a sweet, like, little thing. It's like, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm, like, house-sitting at some bullshit place. Like, come on. It's, like, nice, but come check it out. Yeah. And it's the chemosphere. Yeah. You can look chemosphere. it up. Uh, it's a famous, you know, architectural feat uh, dubbed, like, the most modern house yet in, like, 1960 or whenever it was built. And uh, it looks in between a phallus and a spaceship, you know? Uh, it's going to have a Jetsons feel to it, yeah. the exterior. And so he goes there, and, of course, the the greatest feature of them all uh, that is included with this apartment is the built-in peep show, yes, where so. we see uh, Melanie Griffith from across the way, uh, her, his neighbor, putting on a little nightly striptease routine that he watches through a telescope, uh, another, you know, uh, phallic apparatus that's being used in this film, much like the camera in Hi, Mom, or the... Uh, boom mic in blowout and so i love that first peeping sequence because it goes on so fucking long and there's like five different times where you know the whole time is just cutting back and forth between the pov and uh jake scully looking into the telescope and occasionally looking over his shoulder as if to say like get a load of this you yeah know? <laughs> or even just like all right is this guy right behind me or can i like you know get a little <laughs> touch creep, and action yeah no i love i love like uh yeah, his expressions while watching that because it is it is a long time. So you know, like he does do like he just steps back from the telescope, be like, oh, I gotta take this all in. Like this is, you know, this is crazy. And the the music that plays. Oh my god! It, doo, doo, like it's, it's so like it, you talking about the score. It's like so such a weird. Like it has almost an angelic quality yeah. of a little chorus in it. It's not like traditional like sleazy horny music. Yeah. It's just like exciting and exploratory yeah like that has kind of like a progressive electronic sound to yeah. It. yeah 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 it's really it's very lush it's very lush hey big fan of it big fan. oh yeah uh so we then before we get like the big set piece that comes next there is a little scene where he goes back to the studio finds out that he's been fired and dennis franz kicks him off set while he's filming the scene that ends up being uh the scene we see over the end credits a little <laughs> foreshadowing for those who have seen the film before uh great little scene there dennis franz just totally in his element as the sleazy director but then we get a classic De Palma following sequence, not unlike the one from Vertigo. Uh, I, I love the dynamic of interior and exterior in this, where he starts off at the farmer's market, like on Fairfax, and you get that like big tower that says farmer's market, kind of looks like the tower from Vertigo. Uh, and then we end up at another kind of outdoor mall type thing uh, where he's driving and, you know, he's following the woman he thinks is Melanie Griffith, uh, who is Holly Body, but is actually, of course, uh, Deborah Shelton as Gloria Revel, the one, or Revel, the woman who actually lives at that house who is being set up for a murder by Sam Bouchard. And so we have him following her and also keeping an eye out for the Indian, uh, <laughs> as credited, uh, played, you know, whatever, we'll spoil it, also by, you know, it's the Sam Bruchard character in a mask. And so this three-way following sequence is just like, 
so stunning. I don't know. The way De Palma navigates this outdoor shopping center, the shots of Wasson peeping through uh, the curtain where she's trying on underwear. Nice. Uh, just amazing. And like the security guard then getting involved. Just De Palma slowly adding and subtracting more elements to this great set piece as it goes. It's just so fluid and masterful. And of course, you get that incredible just like the most cringe inducing moment in any De Palma film when she throws away the underwear Uh, I guess the old underwear because she wore her new underwear out of the Uh, store uh, uh, uh. throws it away and while she is just five feet away uh, Jake Scully takes it out of the trash can puts it in his pocket Uh, you know I think De Palma forgot to add a scene where Scully is wearing the panties on his (laughs) uh, back at the crib he's wearing the panties on his face like a helmet going to town (laughs) but uh (laughs) Because you know that, I mean, what else are you going to do with those? Um, but yeah, I mean, like the 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 fact that like we have the Indian in the mix too, kind of also following her, like creates all of this because we have like these tensions of like, you know, follow without being seen, but also like, what's this guy doing over here? And then the security, oh, well, I got to act normal. You know, I can't act like I'm following anyone. And like the way that's like influences like, the visual language, you know, of, of the move, like of, of like these scenes and it kind of, it transfers to, you know, the beach sequence as well is like, I don't know, just like where De Palma kind of decides to follow Scully or whatever, or when he decides to kind of like step back with his camera, like I, it's very stunning. Like, uh, kind of like you have like these kind of like intense, um, you know, kind of following sequences or whatever. And then you step back, it kind of gives you like a weird alien look at the mall, you know, really Really, you get the vibe of like, uh, you know, I think critics have said this before, but it's like, it just feels like a big old dollhouse he's playing yeah. with here. But it's like with the Palma, you know, his dollhouse is going to have, you know, dolly tracks specifically set up, you know, to the specific spot. You know what I mean? He's he's tricking out the dollhouse. Uh, and of course, yeah, as you said, the this set piece extends into this little like beachside motel, hotel, whatever uh, set where it's another like interior slash exterior location where all three players are involved. And you have this like five tiered uh, beachfront hotel thing. Like, I don't even know how to describe that architecture, but yeah. it's amazing and perfect for that because you have people able to, you know, kind of sneak around each other on different levels of it. And you also have those yellow and blue tents on the sand that just look like a chessboard almost. And, you know, people sneaking around those. And uh, the the moment of him kind of being caught, but really just coming up to her, be like, hey, someone's following you. And it's like, yeah, you are a dumbass. <laughs> uh, but then at that point, the Indian uh, snatches her purse and goes into the tunnel uh, where much like when he's stuck in the elevator with her, you know, just a couple minutes earlier, the claustrophobia is demonstrated by, you know, kind of tilting the camera into a Dutch angle and zooming in and out yeah. uh, to get kind of the most POV of the POV shots in this film where Jake is just like paralyzed by fear of claustrophobia, even in that gigantic fucking tunnel. It's where he has so, so funny. Much room to it's breathe. like, I mean, Shit. the moment like plays great and whatnot but this dude is just the ultimate pussy just getting cucked like repeatedly down on his luck and just like he's trying he's fine well i mean i don't want 
he's not even doing a good thing. He's just his perverse desire has led him to follow someone. And the one bit of good he could do is just defeated by the fact that he's afraid of the tunnel. Yeah, yeah. it's again that same thing of like the impotent voyeur slash, you know, listener, follower, whatever you want to call them in this film. Uh, so, of course, the the Indian gets away and uh, he then gets his big kiss gets with the ki- Miss hey, Ravel. And, gets the and kiss. Then yeah. Gets the kiss. It's Not bad. Such a funny moment uh, uh, because, uh, 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 like, you just, I don't know, De Palma just cuts basically across the 180 line on the moment of lip to lip impact into this crazy rear projection thing where the camera is twirling around the two people making out and like basically about to fuck uh, in public, which is <laughs> so funny. They kiss for like two seconds before he just is like smothering her breasts. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. And the uh, the camera that shot the rear projection stuff is also swiveling around. So you just have this like kaleidoscope of motion where it's like if you're like the Jake character, you would be sick from this. <laughs> Uh, but I, I just love that difference of how his claustrophobia is visualized versus this insane, dizzying, like dual motion uh, of their, you know, making out. And right before he, you know, takes a step further, she's like, "No, I can't do this here." <laughs> no, I mean it's 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 also just like having those two things back to back to one another just create such an insane mood, such an insane switch of everything that's going on. He's like, he gets the kiss afterward. It's like, you know, and it's like, yeah, it's like another world. It's an otherworldly, you know, kiss. And it, it's, it's just a very uh, sudden development. And I kind of like the way the plot works or whatever, kind of just, uh, and there's a lot of movies like this, but I, I like, I like this kind of like just a guy following his nose. You know what I mean? A guy who has n- literally zero, things going on you know what i mean it's the only way he's able to do this just by being the, the ultimate loser <laughs> it, it's just crazy and like I, I mean obviously de palma's like style like sort of matches it but there's this feverish intensity that yeah. just pushes him through and so of course it's a de palma movie so it's not like that's the only masterful set piece you're gonna get <laughs> right after that then you get like the fucking set piece of the movie i mean the following one is like you know, for the real heads, that's like the one, and it's like the vertigo one. But then you have him watching her get murdered right after this, and it's just so gruesome and so perfectly cut together where he's just watching the peep show again, and then you have the Indian inside her house and with a giant, uh, you know, power drill, uh, and it just hangs between his legs if you didn't get the the phallic (laughs) imagery from the first 45 minutes. Penis drill. It's just like impotence everywhere in this one. Like at first he can't kill her with the drill because the cord isn't long enough (laughs) and it unplugs and, you know, uh, becomes uh, deflated, if you will. And then, of course, like after she's strangled a bit and then gets him off of her, she's able to call the cops, but she can't talk because of her, you know, throat being wrung out. So she is also like impotent in this moment where she can save herself potentially. And then, of course, Jake running is just too late and he gets attacked by the dog and and just that image of the dog attacking him while you see the drill covered in blood coming in through the ceiling or the floor of the oh. second floor is just one of the most insane, horrifying, you know, beautifully sleazy images in the De Palma filmography. Uh, it's just, you got to see it to believe it. De Palma, he likes to indulge in the sleaze, but I think 
part of the exercise here is kind of taking, you know, maybe some of the misogynist imagery of Hollywood and kind of flipping it on its back or kind of like the the fake fantasy. Like it is just funny, like Scully thinks he's got this set up where he's like, I'm just gonna watch this hot girl dance every night. It's like, oh shit, she's getting murdered. <laughs> <laughs> like it's such a funny and like he's like, I guess I have to get involved now. Yeah. You know, it's a it's a funny scenario to the, you know, your your average pervert, you know, what what if uh I don't know. I, I can't expand on that. But that's trying that's, to make the average pervert a hero. Yeah, exactly. A from Joe pervert, the pervert. From pervert to hero. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can the jump be made? No, no, you can't. No, it cannot. Because you're not a hero. You're you're spying on people. <laughs> <laughs> and what does he go back to doing? Being a pervert. Uh, you know, he doesn't have his personal strip show anymore, so he just watches porn on his rotating bed. And uh, it, it's such an insane thing to have this be like the vertigo moment of realizing that two women are the same, or you know, vice versa, that one woman is actually two. When he's just like watching porn and watching <laughs> Melanie Griffith do this like dance in the intro to her film uh holly does hollywood where it's just like wait a second i've seen those moves before i've seen <laughs> those off this before. before yeah wait a second <laughs> it's like now it's like wait did i know that girl from high school <laughs> so yeah the he then like tracks her down and goes to audition for the porno which is hilarious just a a very like formality of an interview uh slash line reading session yeah and uh then immediately is launched into the frankie goes to hollywood relax (laughs) music video slash porno set piece which is just incredible and lavish and it's like I don't know what the fuck DePaul was pulling out of his ass here, but he pulled it off. I'm a fan. That's a good song. I like the song, but I don't know if like DePaul had this in mind when making the movie. Maybe it was some sort of studio tie-in or something like that. You know what I mean? That happens a lot where it's like you make a music video on the set of the movie. Whereas this, he just kind of puts the, you know, it's like, I'm going to do the work. Might as well put it in the movie. You know what I mean? Let's put the whole video in the movie. And it's, I think it's, it's a good it's a good intro to like the the porno world that Scully's entering with, you know, a lot of ignorance. And it's, it's very funny kind of like the new persona he kind of takes on. You don't really see it in that scene, but maybe kind of afterwards where he's trying to, you know, convince, uh, you know, Holly body, right. Is that her name? Or yeah. what? And like, you know, you know, I want to make you a big star, you know, kind of like his slicked back sleazy producer persona. He bought and, a leather jacket. Yeah, exactly. Like, Oh, he, he's, he's a perfect, example of like a guy who just bought a leather jacket who could you know never had any connection to that definitely can't pull it off but it's like i need to you know i'm a new person now i need to make a change i'm buying (laughs) a leather jacket and slicking my hair back it's kind of it's kind of like a thing you see kids do in kind of like college you know you know when they first move away for college and you're like oh wow it's a whole brand new person but it's we had instead a jake scully a man in his 30s presumably doing this <laughs> to enter the porn world as a, a greaser <laughs> and it's it's just so funny like you talk about impotence it's just like it's so he doesn't even you know he can't even get like these weird things right his perception is like of a porn producer is like that which is yeah, yeah just very funny yeah, no porn producer would tell a star that she has a great smile. <laughs> I that, that'd be a good move though. That'd be I don't I, see, but then again, I, right, maybe I'm learning a, from this movie. I, I'm, yeah, a, yeah. I'm a scully. I'm a scully type. You know what I mean? Maybe. Apparently, in the book of American Psycho, uh, the the main character cites Body Double as his favorite movie, and he's seen it <laughs> over forty times or something like that. That kind of fits into the funny. yeah. He's listening to that style of music. That yeah, Frankie yeah. goes to Hollywood style music in the movie. Wow, eighties pop heads are gonna come for you 
for comparing Frankie Goes to Hollywood to uh, <laughs> Huey Lewis in the News, man. I, I mean, I'm sure they will, but uh, fuck them. Fuck them. I like, hey, I like 80s music. I don't know. I obviously, I don't know anything, but I enjoy it. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> this second half of the film uh, doesn't have as much plot detail to it. It's really just like a few long scenes of him convincing Holly Body of, you know, uh, what really happened once he figures it out for himself. Uh, the detective is just very uninterested uh, and still holds him as a suspect and even says directly, like, you're the reason she died because <laughs> you're a peeping Tom. <laughs> And uh, then you get a great climax of him chasing down uh, the Indian who has Holly Body uh, in his car and tries to bury both of them alive and eventually gets the dog to kill that guy, dump him in the reservoir. And it feels like it's a very like, I don't know, it's an ending that doesn't show you everything. Like the, the mm-hmm. police investigation is just like not a factor in it really and yeah. you don't really know where him and holly body stand at the end of that necessarily <laughs> but then you get the end credit sequence where he's back in that porno film or not porno but the the porno-esque the sleazy horror film uh and you just get like the the stand-in the body double getting called in like the the lead of the movie isn't going to show her tits in the movie so you know you see that and that's the real you know body double i guess uh, <laughs> and apparently de palma thought of this idea for the film while subbing out body doubles for Angie Dickinson in Dress to Kill. Interesting. Which, hey, I thought those were Angie Dickinson. I was going to say, I was say <laughs> noted. That fucking sucks. Yeah, you that's not told me that. One of the most disappointing <laughs> things about Hollywood, learning about body doubles, right? Um, but yeah, like that ending too, it doesn't really have much heroics for Scully either. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it's the dog that tackles that, the, the, you know, that guy into the river. And I, I love how thick... Um, just for like the dramatic effect of him like kind of ripping at it. I love how thick and like gross the Hollywood like makeup of like, yeah. you know what I mean? De Palma's coming after Hollywood, even the racist tradition of Hollywood. Exactly. You know, the villain is a guy doing, you know, a uh, Indian face. So Native American Native face. Native Indigenous I, face. True, true. <laughs> I'm, 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 see, I'm operating in the mode of the movie. They refer to him as the Indian. Of course. So all apologies. JT, any final thoughts on this one? Um, yeah, I'm going to go, uh, five bullets. Another De Palma masterpiece. Wow. He did it again. <laughs> That's it pretty again. good for him. I feel like this is an obvious comparison, but it's like, uh, De Palma's after hours. It's a movie that like is just, uh, about some dumb fucking bozo who gets like, is less proactive and just gets ground up through the system and goes through the works. And it's just so funny. Um, to see like the I, not that the stakes aren't high because they're like each set piece there's so much operating where I feel like the pressure is really on and you're you feel that intensity in the moment but when you go back through the plot it's just like yeah it's just so kooky and goes from point a like not point a to point b but you just go every different which way and I don't know it's just such a fun adventure it's like um uh vertigo or rear window more so in the style of a hangout kind of a thing Mm -hmm. um yeah i love it it's such a fun horny time and uh de palma always leaves you with so much more to think about than just getting off think about why you want to get off that's that's important to consider i'm gonna go five bullets as well and like yeah i think like also just like kind of the dynamic I think De Palma's working at here where it's like, yeah, he's kind of 
poking at the artificiality of Hollywood and also kind of doing that by like, you know, with like the lead kind of Craig Wasson, kind of Wasson being like a bozo <laughs> or whatever. It's a very unique kind of thing he's doing here. Not a lot of, I think only the most talented and the most kind of precision focused filmmakers could pull off a film like that kind of like um, a film, not even having, you know, the strongest base or whatever, or like an obvious, like a uh, plot heavy or like, or just like, I guess the kind of like the main thing, the main attraction here is like, you know, the sex and murder you're possibly going to see. So instead of like, you know, uh, you know, fooling himself, you know, or just, you know, being like, Oh, let me, you know, give some flesh out Wasson more or whatever. It's just like, no, let's just build a fucking cavalcade of shit around him. That's amazing. And he, you know, he's amazing for, you know, this cavalcade of all this stuff. So yeah, very unique exercise going here. And, you know, I like the soundtrack. I kind of like the eighties feel to it. I mean, th- there's a lot to like here, Eddie. I'm sure you got some, give me your fine, not give me your final thoughts and no other type of thoughts on this movie. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta be honest. I'll never have a final thought on this Damn, movie. I'm we're always keep learning. loving it and learning from it forever. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just like, I don't want to say people underestimate how much he's drawing out from Hitchcock, but it's really that like he's teasing out the elements that are there. You know, yeah. Hitchcock, especially in those 50s and early 60s movies, is a filmmaker whose sexual pathology is disgusting and like right on screen, you know, and mm-hmm. it's just like De Palma. It's like he's just teasing it out for the X-rated generation, you know. <laughs> he he's not like perversifying De Palma, uh Hitchcock. He's just like showing you the underbelly that was there yeah. the whole time, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, doing I, what he couldn't do, showing exactly. the titties Hitchcock couldn't show. Exactly. <laughs> and uh yeah, I just think this is an incredible fusion of multiple classic films that he loves and just all of his own personal personal obsessions it's just like such a as we've said the word lush so many times but it is such a lush movie the production design on every level is so ridiculous yeah uh the porn set even is just like i don't know there there's a shot when he's interviewing for the porn uh role where there's a split diopter and he's in this office that's on like the third floor of the studio and then you see below him just like the productions going on and you just see these like three different stages almost like it's like a silent movie set or something like <laughs> these different things going on at the same time and they don't care because it's porno and you could just do it fly by night you know whatever um it's just an incredible film five bullets did it again like the soft machine once saying, we did it again. Uh, De Palma's always doing it to me. And uh, yeah, that, that's going to be it for this week's extended clip. JT, have you picked out our movies for next week? Um, you better believe Ooh. I have. Um, we haven't talked about many scary movies this month. Um, but yeah, we're due. It's that time of the year. It's Halloween season. You will probably listen to this episode on, well, it comes out on Friday, but I know you'll wait, and it'll come out on the. You'll listen to it on the thirty first on Sync Halloween. It up yeah. mid, once thirty first strikes midnight, you'll press play on the episode. Mm-hmm. You'll be tucked <laughs> away in bed with your little nightlight on. It's gonna be a scary one because <laughs> we have two horrifying sequels that Ooh. we're going to talk about. Uh, the first one is uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 from 2009. I just watched it, loved it, masterpiece. I'm going to watch it again. We're talking about it on the pod. 
and we're pairing that with something that I haven't seen, but I have been assured is equally as horrifying. It is Sex and the City 2. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, wow. <Okay. laughs> All right. All right. That's I'm nice. down. That sounds great. Um, and I'm guessing we're watching the director's cut of Halloween oh, 2. Oh, of course. I, I remember watching, like, uh, I, I put on, like, the first five minutes Sex and the City, and I was like, I can't do this. It's going <laughs> to... I was just like, you know, even if this is, like, objectively good for what it is, it's like what it's trying to do. <laughs> I can't. I can't condone this. Well, <laughs> this I, is the one where they go to the Middle East. Well, yeah, I so. know. I know that about. So, hey, maybe there'll be some interesting. Poli- maybe we could talk politics on that oh, episode. God, yeah, <laughs> I, I love when we talk politics. <laughs> you know me. Uh, we have a whole week to prepare. So, <laughs> all right, we'll see you next week. Bye.